0: you'll note that the text for the sermon this morning is a, a single verse, Romans 8.37, but we're going to read a little bit more than that. We'll read from Romans 8.28 to the end of the chapter, so verse 39. We're going to read from Romans 8.28-39. to 39. holy and infallible word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for this word. There's nothing in the world like your word. And this passage is a particularly precious one. Encourage us all today as we wait upon you to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In Jesus' name, amen. The dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever sins we struggle with as Christians and whatever suffering we endure as God's children, we all have the same problem. Fear and unbelief. You say fear, yes, the opposite of fear, biblically, is faith. And faith is the cure for what? Unbelief. So when we say something like, I believe, help my unbelief. We're saying, give me faith, Lord. Grant me to believe. What we struggle with particularly is two things. We struggle to grasp that Christ really has paid the penalty of our sin entirely. And that we need but trust Him and Him alone for the forgiveness Of all of our sins. This judicial aspect of forgiveness is particularly addressed in what we just read in verses 31 to 34. But we also, secondly, we have a hard time trusting that our Savior is so much our Redeemer and Deliverer that He's broken the power of writing sin. Not only has the penalty of sin been paid, But He's broken the power of reigning sin so that nothing, nothing in all of creation can defeat us. Yes, we struggle with unbelief. We need to believe that whatever afflicts us, suffering, sin, injustices of all kind, does not defeat us. But that God is so great and so good that He uses everything in our lives so that we're more than conquerors. In fact, you or those about you may have struggled with just this point. You see evil in the world, you see sin in your own heart and life, you see problems and difficulties. And you say, this is a defeater for a God who who is great, who has all power, and who is good. Because if He's great and He's good, why is there any sin in the world? Well, let me tell you, the place that solves that is the cross. Because there we see at the cross that this God is so great and so good that not only does sin not defeat Him, but He uses sin... To bring about the greatest of all goods. Because there Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. There he broke the power of sin. There Jesus himself suffered in that sense the greatest evil of all times. His death. The death of the Holy One. And what we see in his death, as Owen said, is the death of death. That's what we witness at the cross. The best thing being brought out of the worst thing. What arises from the cross as red blossoming from the ground is your everlasting salvation. This is the place of your salvation because God's wrath is satisfied in the death of Christ for your sin. So if the worst thing ever, the death of Christ, can bring about the greatest There's nothing that can defeat God. And if there's nothing that can defeat Him, there's nothing that can defeat those who trust Him. We're more than conquerors in all these things. That's what Paul says in verse 37. And we're going to think about this under three heads. We're more than conquerors when? Always. In all things. How? Through Him. And thirdly, why? Because he loved us. So let me recap. We're more than conquerors in all things, point one, point two, through him. And the last point, because he loved us. More than conquerors in all things through him who loved us. We begin then by saying we're more than conquerors in all these things. Verse 37 says, all these things. Let's notice here the context so we we can figure out what's meant by all these things. Back in verse 28 where we started, Paul had asserted that all things, an utterly comprehensive claim, work together for good. That God in all things works together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Nothing is accepted from that. Even the most horrible of things, like the serious illness or the death of a child, the cancer of one we love dearly, the horrible breakup of a marriage, same sex attraction or gender confusion. All things. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. All the sin that I struggle with and too often succumb to. That's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. We're in Romans 8. But in Romans 7, he was saying, Paul himself was lamenting that the good that he would, he found himself often not doing. And what he didn't want to do, he found himself doing. One is tempted and does at times, when you think about the comprehensive nature of all these things, say, No, Lord. No. Not this. Not this. This is a bridge too far. This is too much. Whatever's going on in your life that you feel like is drowning you. But it's not. He may send many hard things our way. But in it all, he purposes to bring about a beautiful thing. Think about it this way. He purposes to bring about a beautiful thing out of all the smelly ingredients of your life. Think about cooking. When I make my seafood gumbo and you start cooking that, With the garlic cooking and the peppers cooking and the onions cooking. And then you add in gumbo and all the things. All the seafood, the shrimp and the crab and the oysters. I do have a cooking channel where this is... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) This is not a recipe show. But when all that stuff is being put together, it doesn't smell so good. My kids, when they were little, are we supposed to eat this? They love it now. One of them tasted once the filet. You've heard filet gumbo, filet gumbo. You know the song. We'll have big time on the bio. Filet gumbo. Filet is ground sassafras leaves, and one of them went like, "Ooh, well, spices are not something you're just supposed to eat. They don't taste good." They're bitter. But when they're put in something, do you see my point here? Many things that happen into your life, they're bitter. They're smelly. They're like, I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. Why is this happening, Lord? It's all going in to the mix. Or as Edith Schaeffer put it, the tapestry. It's like our lives are all part of this tapestry that God, the master weaver, is weak. Now, if you look on the back of a tapestry, you, you happen to come into the museum, and you're, it's just a bunch of threads, and you're like, what? you got to go around. And we're never in this life going to see things like we will in the life to come. We're not going to see how this all fits together like we will see with renewed eyes. In a new heaven and earth. Yes, it's often confusing to us. It's often confusing to us. It's sort of like if I put my hand right here. This obscures a big part of the back wall. Now, if I were to ask Brother Jared to go put his hand on the wall, well, I could still see most of the wall. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is it's right here and so often life. And all of its difficulties is right here. And we just can't see properly. Verses 31 to 39 develop this sense of all things even further. Verse 35 is, is really the head of this. It puts the question... Notice verse 35 is putting the question, shall anyone or anything separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question that's being answered here because you'll notice verse 37, the ESV helpfully I think translates that no. Well, what's it saying no to? Well, the question, shall anything, anyone separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul begins to give the list right away. All of these things, Paul himself, if you look at 35, 36, Paul suffered these things. All of them. Look at 2 Corinthians. You'll see that there. He suffered them all except death. But even with respect to death, he said in 1 Corinthians that he died daily. You remember Paul said, I die daily. And there's the reality of this in verse 36 where he's quoting from Psalm 44. Look at verse 36 here. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you know this in the seemingly endless challenges and disappointments of your own life? And notice here that it's much better to be honest about this. A lot of times we sort of lie. We say, I don't have any problems. I don't have any difficulties. But you should go... Tomorrow or the next day, in this difficult conversation, maybe you need to have with a son or a daughter or some other relative, or maybe at work, or your next door neighbor. If you say, Oh my, that's like sheep to be slaughtered, we'll go into it saying, Sheep to be slaughtered, sheep to be slaughtered, rather than no problem here just whistling in the dark. No, we need to admit our weakness, we need to admit we need the Lord. That's the way we know Him more and more. Here's where verse 37 takes it up. You have this no as an answer. Shall anything separate us from the love of Christ? No. In the very face of all these things, we are more than conquerors. And it continues to the end of this chapter, right? In the superlative, poetic, beautiful vein. Going so far as to assert, as Paul does here, that nothing in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some see this as the high watermark of all of Paul's argument in the book of Romans. If not in the Bible. Paul says nothing in creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ. We are more than conquerors in all these things. Whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, Murray says rightly, this is an article of faith. Because we often don't see it. We often don't feel like. We feel like everything's going wrong and it's all falling apart. I was counseling a fellow once and he said, I feel like the car is out of control. And there's no one at the wheel. What does he mean? His life. What do you think he means? We weren't in a car and he wasn't not at the wheel. I would have grabbed the wheel. He was talking about his life. It's out of control. Nobody's at the wheel. If you trust God, you can know in all things he's working his perfect will. Notice the word itself that gets translated, more than conquerors. I don't usually say the Greek word, but this is a fascinating word. Hooper neukomen. Hooper above, over. It's an unusual, hard to translate word. One has translated excessively victorious, but Murray and Moo and others say, more than conquerors is a great translation. One commentator says, hate can make a man a conqueror, can fill him with furious energy, but only love can make him more than conqueror. Only love can make him more. You can think of this in the 20th century. You can think of Marx and his heirs and Nietzsche and his heirs. You can think of Freud and all of these. Darwin, the big four, I call them who cast their shadow over the 20th century. Lots of pomp, lots of pride. Not lots of humility and lots of faith. But it's those who are more than conquerors. Note this observation. The true Christian way of living, the true Christian joy in living, comes to us not in spite of tribulations, disappointments, or even sin, but because of them. We have something left over when life and death have done their worst. Here's what Murray said, in fact. I mentioned him a time or two. He says, Too often we look upon the outcome of conflict with the forces of iniquity as a mere escape, perhaps by the skin of our teeth. In truth, it is victory. And that not merely, but completely and gloriously. The designs of adversaries are wholly overthrown, and we come off as conquerors with all the laurels of conquest. And Hodge says this, the all things here are not only deprived of all power to do us harm, they minister to our good. All the difficulties of your life are meant to draw you to Christ, friends. I often have people say, Well, I'm experiencing all this, and is it? I feel like on the one hand, the enemy is so attacking me, and on the other, is the spirit working? And let me tell you, in anything you experience, There's always two things going on. The devil is saying, run away! And God is saying, no, come near. Draw near. Trust me. But the enemy is saying the opposite. Think of this in the face of things as common as sitting down to pay the bills, then sickness. Death and the sin that clings so closely and that you battle so fiercely. You're more than conquerors in all these things. Well, that was the first point. And for your comfort, it's the longest point. It's the biggest point. So don't be... I just took my watch off so I can keep track of time. So don't be getting too nervous about how long is this guy going to go. The next two points are shorter. We have to really establish... That you're more than conquerors in all these things. Nothing accepted, excluded. We're more than conquerors in all these things. How? Through Him. The reference here, of course, is to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. From whose love, verses 35 and 39, nothing can separate us. It's the Christ who is God... And thus can bear the awful load of our sin and God's wrath against it. God and man who can keep the law that Adam and we fail to keep. The one mediator between God and man. It's in this Jesus. And it's because Jesus came and in all of his living. Not just in his dying. But in his living that was for you. If your faith is in him. He lived for you. He kept every bit of the law, thought, word, and deed. Every bit of it for you. And then he died for you. He paid the penalty of your sin. The penalty that everybody is either going to pay in hell. Or they're going to know Christ paid it for them. They're going to be able to say because they trust him. And you can sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid it all. We're more than conquerors only because of him. This is very important, friends. Not because we have a can-do spirit in the face of adversity. Like a Broadway musical, everything's coming up, roses and daffodils. You know, people in Broadway, they just everything's terrible. And they just say, oh, it's going to work out. It's... No, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm not calling you to, like the rapper says, smile, smile. Or Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. No, I'm not. The world says that kind of stuff. And there's no basis for it. If you're outside of Christ, you should worry. I'm here to tell you, you should be full of worry. You should be full of fear. But not if your hope and trust is in Him. No, we're not more than conquerors because we just give it the old college try. We're not such because we believe in ourselves. Here's another one. I believe in you. He says looking in the mirror in the executive washroom. I believe in you. Is that what I'm telling you to say to yourselves? No. You heard my prayer earlier. There's nothing in us in our flesh. There is no good thing. So I'm not coming here with some dumb kind of just, you know, worldly pep talk like you would get at a business seminar. You can do it. Go out there and do it. This gets put to that use. The reason that we're more than conquerors is Christ and Christ alone because he's done it for us. And if you trust him, you're in faith union with him. You're trusting in Jesus makes you to be in what The theologians call faith union. You're in Him. And everything He has and has done for you is yours. It's yours. That's what this text also says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare His own Son, but He gave Him up for us all. How will He not with Him graciously give us all things? God isn't denying anything that you need for your life to be a more than conqueror. You say, well, it doesn't. I'm not, I'm not rich. I'm not. Do you know how many people are going to hit hell hard with lots of money? No. Many misuse this verse, as we say athletes, performers of all kinds, business persons. This is not a, a corporate slogan, it's not a capitalist mantra. We're only in and through Him more than conquerors. I mean, sports teams, I've heard, you. we're more than conquerors. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's all a misuse of it. This isn't about winning the game. This is about living the life of faith in Christ. How are we more than conquerors? Through Him. Note that the preposition is one of instrumentality. That is to say, He gives Himself to us he becomes ours through the means that he's appointed through the word and its preaching through the sacraments through prayer these means are how we draw near to him this is how we trust jesus how do you trust jesus you hear the word preached like i'm doing right now and you believe it i know the devil is saying to you while i'm preaching all oh, this it's too good to be true don't all, every kind of a sense of that is from the devil I'm identifying this for you. Every sense of like, well, you know, all things through him. He loves you. Yeah, right. Look at your life. That's the enemy. When are you going to finally identify his voice? Oh, that's, I've had people say, tell me what realism is. And they'll say, oh, well, things aren't going to really work out. It's not realism. That's the devil. You need to be able to identify that draw near to him and he'll draw near to you and you'll triumph through him undergoing trials temptations walk closely with him in the means appointed cry out day and night like the song I need thee precious Jesus for I'm full of sin my soul is dark and guilty my heart is dead within come to him rest in him trust in him come unto me he said you heard that in the call to worship All you who labor and are heavy laden. Are you laboring under a sense of sin and difficulty? Come to him. And in drawing near to him through the appointed means we triumph. Why? Because he did. And we in him. Though we may fall many times and struggle. As in Romans 7 as we've talked about it. We triumph in him because he has. Like when Sherman came up to Grant after that faithful day at Shiloh. And said, we've had the devil's own day. And Grant said, yeah, lick them tomorrow. And they did. Lick them tomorrow. Maybe you've just gone down again. You've said what you shouldn't say. You've thought what you shouldn't think. You mean to be loving, but you were rude. You were short. Ah! Look at what I just did. I just gave that other driver a sign that wasn't a sign of peace. It was some other sign from my hand. You're saying, I shouldn't do that as a Christian? Of course you shouldn't. Many things we do as a Christian we shouldn't do. I hope you realize that. Well, what do we do? Draw near to Him. Draw near to him. Spurgeon said, we may fall many times on the, deck of the sh- uh, on the deck of the ship of life, but we'll never fall overboard. We may fall many times on the deck of the ship of life. You know how it is slippery in a storm on a ship. But we'll not fall overboard. Get back up again and again. As one of my good friends, a minister out in New York, always says to me when he ends his email... Press on. Press on. We're more than conquerors through Him, though we strive long and hard. Well, we're more than conquerors. We say, when and all these things, how, through Him, why? Last point. Because He loved us. This refers, of course, to Christ. It refers to the whole Godhead, but again, Christ is the subject matter here. Can anything separate us from His love? And what we see there in verse 37, notice it says, "...in all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us." That loved us, I'm just going to say something grammatical that's technical. Don't pay any attention if it means nothing this participle here is an aorist. And the aorist means something that happened in the past. It's a distinct event, for example, in the past that has this ongoing presence. So when you read he loved us, you say, well, that sounds like the past. Maybe he doesn't love me anymore. Now, that's talking about this definitive love that he's had for you. We're going to see in just a minute. Not only was it in the life of Christ and what he did for you in living and dying for you, but it goes all the way back to eternity. He never began to love you. Ephesians 1 says, in love he predestined you. He's always loved you. So that's why it sounds like that past, because it's telling you about something that's happened As an ongoing consequence. It's not that Christ doesn't actively love us. He does. We see that beautifully when we look at the wonderful present in verse 34. Who makes intercession for us. The passage is mixed with things in the past but also in the present. He makes, that's present, intercession for us. He's at the Father's right hand. And let me just say, I mentioned earlier cancer. My wife has serious cancer. And many have prayed for her, and we are so profoundly grateful and thankful for it. We feel and know the prayers of God's people. And we do pray for each other. I ask, well, how can I pray for you? And you ask that of me. But, you know, sometimes we forget. We fail. We're not perfect. We're fallible. We're humans. Jesus never stops praying. At your deepest woe, at your worst moment, how can you get through it? Jesus is praying for you. So it's a wonderful thing to say, I'll pray for you, but Jesus is. I remember many years ago, I was in graduate school in Virginia. It was before I went to seminary. And there was it was, a, it was a wonderful university, but it was a, a public university. And... I was getting a lot of opposition as a Christian. I, was, I wasn't just one of these quiet Christians. That may be hard to imagine. But they knew. Every, everybody in the graduate department knew I was a Christian. And I was getting some pushback. And I was really feeling it. And it was a Lord's Day. And I had a wonderful service in church. And then I went over to... Of course, I'm a graduate student. So, I mean, I went over to a member's house for dinner, which, you know... Anytime that anybody invites you for dinner, you were like, you know, you were there. You look at the food and you're like, what are you guys eating? No, I'm just, this is, this is great. Are you having some of this? And I went back to my apartment and I put on, I, I would listen usually to sacred music on Sunday afternoon. And of course, my favorite piece of sacred music was Handel's Messiah. And in that last section, I remember it was just like a dam breaking. Because as I heard Joan Sutherland intone the words, He makes intercession for us. I just, I realized and all I'm, the weight I was carrying, all the, Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for me. That intercession, you see, is based on His definitive completed work for us. Verse 34 again, He died, He was raised from the dead. These are these same tense as loved. He doesn't keep dying. He doesn't keep raising from the dead. He doesn't need to. He loved us. He died for us. He was raised from the dead. But He ever lives to make intercession. Always. Always pray. Do you feel cold and distant? Gaze upon that middle cross by faith. And abide in its shadow. Look with wonder on the empty tomb. Do you doubt His love? He died for you. He was raised from the dead for you. He loves you and nothing and all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ. His love is stronger than death. And as that hymn we sing so beautifully says. will never let you go. It will never let you go. It began back in eternity. I said that earlier. Verses 29 and 30. That's exactly what they're saying. It says there. For those whom he foreknew. That... You could translate that word for loved. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he also justified those whom he justified he also glorified and notice that word glorified is in that same tense and you say wait a minute pastor we're not we are justified we're all those things but we're not glorified yet yes we are in Gary Indiana sitting here in this wonderful church but surely this isn't glory is it no it isn't you're having to listen to me you won't do that in glory well how does it what does it mean It's because it's all so sure. It's all so certain. It's in one sense as if you're glorified already. Wow. But can't I lose my... No. But I really struggle. You don't know how bad I am. I know this. Your sin is not greater than His grace. And how dare you think it is. His grace is greater. The Spirit applies this love in our lives. God, in counsel, loved us from eternity. Christ came and lived and died for us. And now the Holy Spirit applies all of this. He's the one who gives you faith. So that we're more than conquerors in all these things through Him who loved us. Let's finish on this note. Christ loves us. Can anything ultimately defeat us? This isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't some sort of misguided triumphalism. Or sometimes people say here, well, pastor, you can only say that because you don't know how bad my sin is. As I just said, it's not greater than His grace. And all the tribulations of life are not stronger than His love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this word is just magnificent, and we bless you for it. Oh Lord, Lord, what a word. What an encouragement! We can't imagine anything better than what you've done for us in Christ in who we glory. Lord, help us to live in a way that we know that all things are in your hands. You've got the whole world in your hands. And it's all working for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.